You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, the Go Wild app has added some really cool and exciting functionality to their app. And the first one I want to talk about is the Near Me function. And basically what this does, it allows you to engage and connect with people in your area. You guys can talk about gear. You guys can talk about hunting areas. You guys can talk about what's going on in the woods. And it just allows the users to be more of a community and connect easier. The second part is the gearbox. And what the gearbox is, it is a an opportunity for the users to not only see reviews on products and see what the go wild community is using in the field what products they're using but it also allows you guys to purchase up to 150,000 products there's you, there's a shopping function on it so Check out the Go Wild app. If you haven't downloaded it to your phone yet, you need to, and you can do that at any app store that is currently available. Go Wild. It's an awesome app. Check them out. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we got a really exciting episode today we're going to be joined by Tom Peplinski and every time that me and Tom get together we talk about hunting whitetails whether it's bow hunting or it's gun hunting we're talking about whitetails in some way shape or form now the conversations are typically that next level or maybe even advanced hunting strategy. We talk about food plots. We talk about, you know, how to play the thermals and wind and an intense strategy. And I was thinking to myself, there's a lot of people out there who are not on the same level as us. And I felt that we needed to do a podcast about the bare basics of hunting deer. And what I mean by that is what what is playing the wind? You know, what does what is a rub? What is a scrape? What is a deer trail? How do deer use the wind? The most basic of basic uh, conversations. And I'll be honest with you, it felt good talking about it because it was almost like a refresher. It stimulated my brain because when I walk into the woods now, you know, I have several seasons of bow hunting under my belt. I almost just react. And I, I don't think about the wind. I just kind of walk into the woods. I react to what the, the sign tells me. I react to, to what the terrain is telling me. I react to what the wind is telling me. And that is how I decide where I want to hunt. And 
it, that can be hard to explain. So I wanted to break it down. And this episode is really dedicated to somebody who is interested in deer hunting that may have never been deer hunting before, or someone who is absolutely brand new with just a couple of years of hunting under their belt. Uh, so the cool part about this is it is for advanced guys too. And what I mean by that, it can be a refresher of sorts. It, you can think about the mistakes that you made the first couple of years that you were hunting as well. So it's a pretty cool episode. But before we get into the episode, we got to do a commercial with our new partner, and that is Quiet Cat. Now, if you don't know what Quiet Cat is, it is a company that makes e-bikes or electric bikes. And me and my wife just got back from Colorado this year. And the application of these bikes can really be used anywhere. But uh, I'm a flatlander, so I'm not used to the altitude there. And, and when my wife said to me, hey, I want to go on a on a, a mountain bike ride, all I thought about was me just completely out of breath riding a mountain bike uphill. Well, the cool thing about these e-bikes is that they have an assist. They have a pedal assist, and they even have a throttle on these. Basically, it's a mountain bike with a motor, and it makes pedaling easier. There's several different um, you know, powers you can choose from, one through five, five being the, the most helpful, right? The more power going to the wheel. It still has the gears. Uh, so you can pedal if you want to feel like you want to be doing something as well. And especially up in the mountains or in hilly terrain, that can uh, help out in a big way. So here's what I'm going to say. If you want to find out more information about how you could use uh, an e-bike, whether it's for hunting, whether it's for recreation, visit quietcat.com. And that is quiet spelled like it's supposed to be spelled and then cat k-a-t quietcat.com check them out and now let's get into today's whitetail basics episode with tom peplinski in three two one all right on the phone with me is my whitetail brother of sorts mr tom peplinski tom how we doing uh pretty good down here in southern iowa how you doing dan i'm doing pretty good uh let me ask you this right off the bat. What are your trail cameras telling you so far? Uh, absolutely nothing. I don't have any out yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forget. I, uh, I forget. You're the guy who waits. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I think we've talked about this before, but I, over the years, I've just found that the information you get in June and July and even most of August just doesn't help me out too much. So, yeah. um, that and the fact that I've lost, probably a dozen cameras in my life to ants and spiders. They somehow they get in and they destroy them in the summertime. I don't know what that's all about, but yeah. it's just kind of led me to not put them out until I put my fall food plots in, which is usually mid to late August. Okay. How many acres you got going in this month then? In food plots? Yeah. Oh boy. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, maybe four acres, but it's all, it's all these little bitty transition plots. Yeah. So it's, you know, a tenth of an acre times 40 or not, not 40, probably 20, right. all these little bitty transition green plots. And yeah. 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 I'm lucky. I guess I, I, the trade-off with me is I don't plan any food plots because I don't have access to it as of right now, but I'm a, I'm a trail camera guy and I've pulled 
one set of tr- or well I, I've I've gone through one official check on my properties that I hunt and I've I got one good buck so far uh, in front of the camera I got another one that was in the distance and I couldn't I couldn't really make him out but he looked he looked big from from I guess the the ratio of how far he was away from the camera and uh i don't know man there's something i don't know what it is about this particular season that i'm so excited for but i am the past five years i am more excited this year than i have been the past five years and i'm not sure what that is man how about you are you are you slowly getting wound up for the season oh no i don't know i'm not i'm not slow getting wound up for it i i think every year is the best year coming in it's just i don't know every year i'm pumped up and yeah and looking forward and you know by the time it's the end of november maybe mid-december i'm already looking i'm already ready for next year yeah yeah all the, all the changes i'm gonna make and, and and whatnot but yeah i'm i'm ready it could start tomorrow yeah let me ask you this because you know me and you are on uh, a little bit different pages right i don't own any property i either have permission to hunt or i um uh, or I hunt public and you, you own some of your own ground before, like, d- did your excitement level for the hunting season, the deer hunting season change once you were an official landowner? Yeah. Uh, years ago, I was lucky enough to lease a really, really good farm. And it was almost like I, like I owned it. I would say, you know, not quite, but back when I was young, when I was really young, it was all public public ground and I hunted my grandpa's farm a little bit, but that was really, really high pressure. A lot of people hunted it. And, uh, my excitement to actually hunt probably really didn't ramp up until about the week before, but then we used to shoot our bows, you know, 30, 40, 50 arrows every single night. And, uh, we used to go shining deer. That was legal in Wisconsin. Used to be able to shine deer. Um, I think till actually before the season started, I think you could do it all night long, but um, right after sunset, we used to go shining deer just about every single night. And, you know, we'd see a two and a half year old that was 80 inches and we'd be just going nuts and <laughs> ready for the season to start. So, yeah, but I'm, uh, I think now the, the level of interest and excitement doesn't drop off like it used to because it's the habitat improvements and the food plots and the fence jumps and all this stuff. It just never ends. It's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, my goal is to someday, you know, be a landowner in some way shape or form and i'm a little bit jealous of the guys who are able to be out there all year round i mean i could be like that if i wanted to on some of the farms that i hunt i mean i know the landowners well enough to where they they honestly like having me out there that way they know kind of what's going on out in the sure. you know, the back parts of the farm but i don't know man i i just i i feel like someday it will change once you're a landowner and hearing people talk about being able to manage their own land, whether it's for deer, whether it's just for farming or agriculture, there's another connection there between you and the land. That's not necessarily really there with just a, a random farm that you're hunting or, or maybe even a piece of public, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. At a very, very young age, my dream was always to own my goal was to own 80 acres someday. That was like my dream. And I saved and saved and my wife and I, you know, sacrificed, I shouldn't say sacrificed, but we went without the new cars and whatever. And, uh, 
we bought our first piece of what I would say recreational hunting land when I was 40. So yeah, yeah it's been, uh, it's been a dream come true for me. And I, I encourage anybody that wants to do it to do it because I, I have no regrets yeah. doing that. That's for sure. Yeah. That's definitely something someday that I'm going to be, uh, looking into hard. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saving money. I'm, you know, doing the strategy behind, you know, behind the curtains, trying to, to get that, get to that point and someday it'll happen. But, you know, on every time me and you get together, I feel like we talk about deer hunting strategy or food plots, you know, or, or how to kill deer on a more advanced level or even an average level. But I think there's something that we always miss and that is kind of relating to the guy who is just getting started or who has never hunted a day in his life as far as deer hunting is concerned. And I wanted to take this opportunity on this episode to bring it all the way back and talk about the basics of deer hunting and whether that's with a gun, whether that's with a bow, just the absolute basics, the boil it all down and, uh, and, and talk about it. And I'll be honest with you, this is going to be like shooting from the hip. So is there, is in your opinion, is there a, a good place to start when it comes to learning how to hunt deer? Well, yeah. Shooting from the hip. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, this is shooting from the hip also, but it's, it's kind of out there in left field when I was, well, this is a long time ago, Dan. So I, I don't remember the time frame and, and stuff, but there was a, a doctor out there called Dr. Ken Norberg. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's from Minnesota. And he wrote a series of books on whitetail behavior and habitat and on how to hunt them. And those were some of the best books that I've ever read. And I still, I think I still have them. They're small paperback books and they really talk about different strategies for hunting farmland and hill country and swamp bucks and uh, one whole book is on the sign method. It, so if you've never hunted deer before, there's one whole book. I believe it's red. All the all the books are different colors, red and green and yellow. The one that I remember that I think I even read two or three times was all the sign method of hunting. And it, it explains rubs and scrapes and trails and primary scrapes and deer droppings and size of tracks and just about anything you could imagine for hunting whitetail deer using the sign method. And the sign method is, you know, what, what you see with your eyes when you're out scouting deer. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't reference those books anymore. Um, I kind of have them in my collection. They're kind of sitting there, but if you've never hunted deer before and you want to have an, a non marketed way to read and understand different whitetail behaviors and what they do and why they do it, that's, that whole series by Dr. Ken Nordberg is probably the best that I've, that I've seen or read. It's, it's a little outdated because I think technology has showed us a little bit um, on what deer see and how they smell compared to 20, 25 years ago. So I think some, some of that stuff's been updated, but none of the information in, in those books would be wrong. It's just that there's more data out there now to support different things and how they see, but that is some real good stuff. And you don't, as you're reading the books, you never have to worry about, is this legit or are they trying to sell me something? You know, am I trying to 
get persuaded into hunting a certain method so I can buy this product because he's not selling anything. So it's, yeah. it's really good stuff. Yeah. I think, that, that's, I think that's a, to answer your question, that's a great place to start. If you've never hunted before to get that series of books, if you could find them online or something and read them. Yeah. It's really good stuff. Yeah. And, and even bringing it into more of the technology, you know, days that we're in today. I mean, you can go to YouTube, you can, uh, you can just go to any, outdoor life you can go to i mean hell even the iowa sportsman uh field and stream um you know all these places even just google how to deer hunt and there is a wealth of information out there that will lead you down you know if you want a rabbit hole to talk about you know all the things that you need to know now what what I'm sure you'll agree with me on is reading one thing and actually getting out there and and experiencing it and and putting those things that you learn into place are two completely different things. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And one of the one of the biggest things I would stress any early hunter is whatever you try, always take it from the stance of, and you've heard me say this before, Dan. I'm mm-hmm. sure you have that if you're, if you're trying something that you saw or you read and it's working for you, then, then try to um, improve on that or keep doing it. And if something's working, then quit doing it. Yeah. Cause I see, I see too many people doubling down on something they saw on YouTube. It's not working for them because they're excited that it should work type of thing. And I see a lot of hunters, I, I, they're mimicking what they see on TV and what they're seeing on the YouTube videos, and they, and they don't understand that maybe they're hunting a 40 or 80 acre piece, piece of property in Northeast Iowa or Southern Michigan or something like that, and it's having a little bit different reaction, the method they're using compared to what they saw on TV where the guy is hunting a 2,000 acre farm with him and his son by himself yeah, kind of thing. So you've got to put it all in perspective. And, and know your environment. And and, yeah, and you got to yeah. duplicate what's working, and if it's not working – you know, if you, if your target buck is, let's say a two year old buck, or let's say it's any buck because you're a starter, right? So yep. it's any buck and you're on year five and you have not gotten your first buck yet, then you might want to change things up because it's not working. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So you got to kind of learn from what's, what's not working and, and try and uh, duplicate and replicate the things that do work. Right. Let's, uh, let's take a little bit uh, of a backward step here and talk about where to find deer. All right. And I know this is, I I almost feel this is a hard conversation for us because we're so past the beginning stages of of hunting that it may even, you know, I had a, I had a teacher when I was in high school and it was my algebra trigonometry um, teacher. And she was so smart, right? She knew everything, but one of her problems was she had a hard time dumbing it down for people to understand. Right. And I can remember getting, I wasn't getting a very good grade in the class. And she's like, I don't understand why you don't get this. Well, she had about 30 years of teaching experience under her belt. And this is my first year ever doing anything like that. And I, I got really frustrated. Uh, so I, I think that we need to just even take a backward step and if you were talking to someone who who had never hunted before tom and, and they asked you this question where do deer live what would your answer be 
deer live any place that they have security, so where they can avoid human pressure. Um, they live where they have an ample supply of food. And I would, so I would try and explain what, what that would mean in farm country. That could be agriculture, soybeans, corn, alfalfa. Um, it also means woody browse. So browse that at, that's at a deer's level, uh, four or five feet and below. So they need adequate amount of uh, woody browse and food. And they also need um, a small amount of water because deer can actually get the lion's share of their water in the food that they that they consume. Yeah. So they just they need exactly what humans need. They need food, shelter in the form of like security cover, and they need um, to avoid predation. You know, humans we're not used to that part because we're not we're the top of the food chain, so we don't have predators. But as a starting hunter, you got to understand that deer will try as best they can to avoid human pressure. So that's, that's where you look for deer. You look for deer where there's cover. I always say, if you see like in the winter time, I used to run beagles and I used to run rabbits a lot with my beagles. And every time there was like good rabbit habitat, like really super high stem count and thickets and briars, that's also good deer habitat. So if that kind of correlates for any kind of first time hunter, um, big big woods open park type settings where there's very little browse where you can see for a hundred yards in the timber come fall is not good deer habitat. So that's not where deer are going to hang out. Right. Right. Just because there's trees and woods doesn't necessarily mean it's good habitat for a deer to call home. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a lot of it's, a lot of it's observation too. You yeah. can tell a first time hunter uh, it's observation. You just got to sit back uh, this, this time of year in August, uh, you drive around, you can see a lot of deer right off the road and heck I'm doing it almost every night now at spotting scope and just for fun. And you'll see where the deer are, but a lot of times deer this time of year aren't where they are in the fall. So during hunting season, you just want to remember that you want a lot of stems, you want a lot of woody brows and thickets and briars and young re regenerative growth. And if it's in farm country, you don't think, uh, harvested cornfields and harvested green or uh, soybean fields and lush alfalfa fields. And that's, that's where the deer are going to be. Right. Okay. So as we now start to, to find where deer live and we start to recognize, you know, Oh, here's a track, here's a, a, or a trail where they walk down, you know, I'm parked in my truck. I see them out in this field and I know now where, you know, where they're ending up at the night. How do, how do we talk to them about one thing that I, I feel is one of the first things that you'll learn is this bed to feed pattern and how they, you know, they're, they're somewhat of a nocturnal animal, right? What's the word? Is there a, there's a different term because they're not fully nocturnal, but they move, early in the morning as the sun's coming up and then late at night when the sun's coming down. I yeah, think, correct. And I don't, you're, you're right. There is a term for that. But. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless, the, 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 that's when they really move. Right. And then during the day they tend to, you know, for the most part, they bed down and they chill out in, in the cover that you just described. So it, now we're starting to get into, okay, I've, I've located them 
but now I want to actually get close enough to where I can either shoot him with a gun or I can shoot him with my bow. Where along that, from where they bed down to where they're feeding, should we start to hunt them? Well, as a first-time hunter, uh, I'm assuming, I mean, I got to assume a few things. Uh, You know, a beginning starting hunter is not probably targeting five- and six- and seven-year-old deer, not that they wouldn't like to shoot that. But I'm guessing just like when I was 12 years old and starting out, a doe would have been a dream come true, you know? Agree. So I would never recommend this to someone that's, trying to manage their land or harvest big, big animals, but hunting right over a food source is one of the easiest places to take a, a doe or a small buck. Yeah. It's the easiest to find. You can get in on the evening hunt without bumping any deer and you'll probably see a lot of animals going. You know, we've talked about this before with the advanced uh, techniques is you're probably going to have to find three or four or five or six of these food sources and, you know, rotate around between them. So you don't put a lot of pressure on that one food source. Otherwise your hunting is going to drop off pretty drastically. If you just keep hunting the same food source over and over. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's really a, an advanced tactic because that goes right back to what we started before is, you know, where, where do deer hang out where they have the proper habitat and where they can avoid people. Yeah. So if you can bounce around between food sources, that would be, in my opinion, one of the easiest places to take a doe, an adult doe, or a small buck. And in the rut, if you've done this uh, bouncing around enough, you have a chance on even taking a nicer buck Yeah. On a, right right on a food source as long as you haven't overpressured it so much that the does aren't coming out after dark. Right, right. It's almost as simple as, you. let's just say, this was your progression, right? The summer you were driving around some roads, you saw some deer, you, it's either public ground or it's, uh, you got permission to hunt this, this piece of property. You, you walk to where you saw them and you look for the most concentrated, uh, footprints on the ground. And that would be for the most part, a really good place to start. Right. Yep. That's so going back to Dr. Ken Norberg, that's, that's what he would, what he would talk about as the sign method. Yeah. So you, you, you go to that food source, you know, this is a good food source because you've observed it. Uh, or maybe you can't see the deer there because the food source is uh, isolated from any kind of roads, but you can see trails that are got a lot of deer tracks on them. And once the season kind of opens, now you're starting to see some rubs and scrapes in the heaviest area of sign rubs and scrapes and, you know, deer trails like crazy is a great place to to start out to harvest your first deer. Absolutely. Yeah. Why why wouldn't you go? Why wouldn't you go there? That's the heaviest area of of sign. So that means deer are there more than any other place in that surrounding area. Right. Okay. So elaborating on the sign just a little bit, do your best to describe what a scrape and what a rub are. So a rub is is a sapling anywhere from the size of your pointer finger up to, yeah, you know, I've seen rubs a foot in diameter on trees. Yeah. And a buck will just 
take their antlers and rub the hell out of that tree until there's bark gone or a little bit of bark gone or a lot of bark gone. That's a, that's a rub. Uh, me personally, I've never put a lot of stock in hunting rubs. So I, my suggestion for first timers is don't put a lot of stock in them other than, other than, you know, at, at least at one point in time, there was a buck here that yes. rubbed his antlers on that tree. Yes. Uh, a scrape is where you'll find a spot on the ground where it's the debris and leaves and grass and stuff is pawed away. You find a bare spot on the ground. And again, this could be the size of an eight and a half by 12 sheet of paper or the size of a truck hood and anywhere in between. And most often there's a branch or a vine or a something about chest high over top of that scrape. And that's where bucks will, they'll lick it and rub their antlers and they got some glands in their foreheads and on their forehead and stuff. They'll leave their scent behind. And then does will also use that scrape to leave their scent behind and fawns will use it and young bucks and old bucks. And it's more of a, it's more of a social uh, sign post area where the local deer herd can leave their scent behind or their signature scent behind and they can all kind of communicate with each other. Right. Uh, so that's what a scrape is. And then obviously, uh, tracks and trails, you know, the, the heavier, the trail, the, the more deer on it. I mean, it's just kind of common sense, some of that stuff, but, yep. um, and if you can find all three in one spot heavily used, the better. Right. So if you find it, if you find a trail that's just hammered, uh, but you haven't found a single rub or you haven't found a single scrape, just, you know, major trail, there's a good chance that's mostly daunt, uh, doe and fawn family groups using that trail. Nothing wrong with that. Right. If your goal is to shoot a doe, you know, you can still hunt it. Yeah. If your goal is to shoot any buck or even your a young buck because it's, you're starting out, you're going to want to find some kind of buck sign in the form of a rubber scrape in the vicinity. Right. It would be a good starter. Yeah. And you, you touched on it there. Sign is where deer were, right? And one, one thing that I know that when I was a first time hunter starting out, I put a lot of stock, like you said, in sign because I thought that where they, where that sign is, where those footprints are, I mean, there will be deer there every single day. And that's not necessarily the case, right? But for all intensive purposes, that is a good place to start, right? Now, a great place to start. Yep. Yeah. Now, let's just say for, for, for the, the sake of this podcast, all that is on a field edge, right? Right. I'm not a big fan of hunting field edges anymore, right? Because I'm not looking for uh, a, a doe or, you know, to fill the freezer. Yes. But when it comes to a, a big mature buck, that's a different story. That's a different podcast. But for this, for, for the sake of this podcast, we're looking to shoot anything. If it's brown, it's down. So once we find that sign, right, how do we set up, right? We have to take into consideration the wind because one of a deer's most powerful defense mechanisms is its nose, right? So we have to say if they smell us, they're going to run away and we're not going to be able to get a shot at them. So once we find this sign, how do we put a tree stand up or a ground blind or hell even sit on a bucket 
to put ourselves in a position to get a shot at them. So this, this is probably almost next step. Yeah. So, so the sign method, finding finding deer sign and everything is like, is really you know whitetail hunting one hundred and one. Yeah. But then whitetail hunting one hundred and two is really the most important part, even today. So yeah. even even though maybe a month from now, Dan, you and I will get on a podcast and we'll be talking about who knows what. Whitetail hunting one hundred and two, getting back to understanding. Um, how to get in quiet and how to be quiet on stand and how to get into your stand where deer aren't seeing you. And what does it mean to hunt with the wind? You hear this all the time. You see it on TV, people write magazine articles, Oh, you have to hunt with the wind. And what does that mean? That really, that really is deer hunting one-on-one. Yeah. Because that is so basic, but yet once you master how to hunt with the wind, you you're 80% of the way there. Yeah. I, I know, I know for me in my experience, that's true. So I go back when I was 12 years old using the sign methods. That's what I did. That's all I did. Find a lot of scrapes, hang a tree stand, find a lot of uh, trails, hang a tree stand or try and hide in a brush pile or whatever. But I had no concept of the deer can smell me when they're downwind. I didn't understand it. And probably back then I never, never even heard of it. Yeah. Um, so what I would tell a beginner is you, you've done this sign method of scouting. You found an abundance of trails. Maybe there's some scrapes and you want to set up on maybe where there's three heavy trails that all come together into one. And that's the heaviest trail in that area. So again, this is not an advanced tactic. It would be, maybe you won't even want to hunt there. But we're, we're skipping that. I just want to make sure that people understand that. Yeah. But if you want to hunt that one trail that's the heaviest, and let's just say that trail runs north and south, and the best tree that you found is 20 yards away on the east side of that trail. So you hang your tree stand up in there. You get up in it. Yep, 20-yard shot right to that trail, and that trail is due west of you. That means that you can only hunt that trail when the wind is out of the west northwest southwest something so that when that deer comes down that trail the wind is in your face and the scent is going or the wind currents are going from the deer to you yeah so that is that is wind hunting with the wind basics 101 or like i would say 102 yeah yeah you're really so, right it, it jumps so, from, it jumps from basic to advanced real fast in, in the whitetail world but but that is that is like a base level of understanding Yeah, that if you don't do that, you'll never get, you'll never even get that deer. Right. Maybe you, maybe you get a fawn because fawns don't understand it yet. But if, if a doe is on that same trail and you hunted in that stand with an East wind. So now if you're listening to this podcast, just imagine you're watching this trail, this trail is due West of you in front of you and the wind is blowing at your back and blowing toward that trail. Any deer that walks down that trail will smell you and, and leave. They'll run. They'll snort. They'll run. They're gone because they will smell you. So just, just imagine also to be any beginning hunter that deer can smell so good that 
anything within a hundred or 200 yards from where you are downwind is they, they can smell you. That's, that's a concept that I didn't understand when I was 12 years old. I just, I didn't get that. Yeah. And I probably didn't get it until I was in my twenties. Yeah. That's a fact. So even though it sounds advanced as a beginning hunter, even if it's your first time walking out in the woods with your bow or your gun, just become a student of how to hunt with the wind and, and make that be like your number one goal to learn what that means to keep the wind in your face. So the wind is always blowing at you so that as you're hunting or whatever you're hunting, whether it's a trail, maybe you're putting a stalk on an animal, they're upwind of you. So the wind is coming from them to you. Yeah. So yeah. just, just think, just think of it this way. This is the best way. And I've actually done this with younger people. Imagine getting a, like one of these smoke bombs for uh 4th of July, you know, these little round, you can light them and they smoke like crazy Yep. green and blue or red, white, and blue or whatever. Imagine lighting that off in your tree stand, wherever that smoke goes. If a deer is there, you'll, you'll never, you'll never get them because they can smell you. Yeah. So you always want to make sure no matter where you're at, when you're hunting, if you light a smoke bomb off, that's not what you're hunting. You're hunting in the direction the wind is coming from, not where the smoke is blowing to, because that smoke is the same as you. That's how bad you smell to a deer. Right. Right. So we, you, you've told, you've given us this scenario of this trail that runs east, uh, or excuse me, north, south, and that the, uh, our, our tree stand is on the east side of that trail. And now we have to, uh, have a west wind of some sort to hunt that specific tree stand. How do we get to our tree stand without making the deer either smell us or uh, bump them walking in spook them before the hunt even starts? Yeah. So that, that's already, that's already deer hunting one Oh (laughs) three, right? It is. So, so you, you have to master the sign method and you have to master the, understanding where your scent is going and then it really starts to ramp up quick it really does and and you and i both know that but what you can tell a beginning hunter is if you think the deer are coming from the north then you don't want to be coming in from the north because you're going to basically walk through the deer to get to your sand another concept i didn't understand when i was 12 yeah exactly so you want to get to your stand you want to get to your stand with that west wind in a way where you can be quiet. You're not walking through where the deer are right now, where you, where you think they might be bedding or where you think they might be coming from. That's not your approach. You want to approach from maybe you, if you're hunting that food plot, so that's this north south trail, maybe you actually uh, access that stand from the food plot. So the, your, the whole idea is sight, sound, and stink. You want to avoid deer at all costs while you're getting in your stand. And then, and then it ramps up to uh, advanced tactics really, really fast about trails and thermals and, yeah, and, you know, coming into a cow pasture and it really gets into some, you know, I know hunters that have been hunting for 30 years that would probably absolutely think that they are not beginners and they still don't understand the concept of getting to their stand without bumping deer. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I mean, basically don't walk where they're coming from. 
right? If, if, if you found this yeah. awesome trail, right. And we've already learned that they, they bed over here in a certain area and they walk this trail to this, uh, cornfield or bean field or an acorn tree where they're eating, whatever food source you've identified, you don't want to walk where they're coming from. You want to walk straight to your, uh, tree stand from let's say it's an afternoon hunt and they're coming from their bed to a a bean field or a corn field and so you want to walk through that bean field to the tree stand because you don't want to bump them out of where they're coming from in in its simplest terms yes yeah and it you know and it and i very rarely do that so if you're listening you're thinking well this guy says he doesn't even do that but like i said you're you're trying to get a deer on the ground. You're trying to see deer. You're trying to understand deer. So without getting really advanced and getting people confused real quick. Yeah. Yes. Just avoid where you think the deer are at that point in time. And yes. get in your stand quietly. Don't be clanking. Don't be, you know, having your release clank against your bowl. You know, maybe you have to use a climber because they're hunting public land. Try and use a quiet climber. Make sure you're proficient with a climber. So you're not making a bunch of clanking. Don't have a plastic uh, water bottle in your backpack that's, you know, crunching up. And, yeah. Yeah, don't don't be eating candy bars on stand with plastic wrappers. And so it's sound. You don't want them to hear you. Sight. You got to be still and, and quiet and don't be moving around when you're on stand. And then scent is is the number one killer for, for deer hunters because they don't understand that everything downwind is off limits. They're, they're not going to kill anything that's, that smell them. Right. So it's just, it's woodsmanship skills. And a lot of people lose that even in today's, today's expertise. There's so much information out there. We lose our wood, our woodsmanship skills because we got a gadget for everything. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's one thing that I would definitely, I actually just had a conversation with a guy about this the other day and he's like, there is no product. And I, I tend to agree there's no product out there that will help you. How do I phrase this? Because there are like, in my opinion, there are products out there that have made it like have actually helped me become a more mobile hunter or have done things better. But th- that's not something a beginner needs to worry about. You get your weapon, no. be proficient with it and just get outside and, and start making mistakes because that's how you learn. Yeah. Yep. I would, I would go so far as to say, be proficient with your weapon and then stop. Throw a pair of black blue jeans on with a brown Carhartt jacket. Don't worry about your camouflage. Don't worry about all this gadgets and scent this and mock scrape that and just forget it. Just, I mean, I'm seriously, just yeah, forget it. I agree. And, and practice your woodsmanship skills of being quiet and stealthy. Pretend you don't have a weapon. Pretend you don't have a weapon and you got to sneak up on a deer or you got to get, get a deer to come by you or you can like jump out of the stand to get it. I mean, literally pretend this is caveman type stuff and learn how to be stealthy in the woods and not break sticks with your feet. I mean, literally that's woodsmanship oh, yeah. skills and learn how to do that along with understanding where your scent goes because that's a woods, woodsmanship skill. And master that before you worry about any of the gadgets and the stuff you see on TV or YouTube or anything. Because once you master your woodsmanship skills, you're 90% of the way there. 
and you don't even need that other stuff. That other stuff then becomes, it's a fun thing to do. It's, it's exciting maybe to try this product or, you know, I do a lot of food plotting. Half of my, half the reason why I do food plotting is I enjoy it. So if, if you can just master your woodsmanship skills and be a really good hunter without any of them things, you're, you're going to be far better off for the rest of your hunting yeah. career. You'll enjoy it more. It's almost like building a house, right? You have to have a solid foundation if you want the rest of the house to, to turn out great. Well, absolutely. So let's say you buy the, the scent, the scent barrier spray HD super whatever 101 and you spray down and you forget the woodsmanship skills of understanding of hunting with the wind. You're never going to be a good hunter, right? You are never going to be a good hunter. All you're going to do is spend a lot of money and make somebody else rich spending a lot of money on all these gadgets and sprays and all this stuff. And maybe you'll get lucky here and there. And maybe, maybe a, you know, a year and a half old buck might get a little bit confused because of your scent stuff and, and whatnot, but you'll never be really a good hunter at the top of his or her game. If you skip the basics or like you say, the foundation of, of woodsmanship skills, I just, I don't, I can't stress that enough because it, I just see it a lot where people are trying to skip the fundamentals of, of really the deer hunting 101 and understanding the basics and they skip it and they want to, they want to find a way to spend 40 bucks and, and have miracles. And it just, I haven't seen one out there yet. I mean, I know that's a discussion, but yeah. What about this? I don't, what about this though? You know, we've talked about put that, you know, don't worry about all that other stuff, but are there things that we can do or should be doing before every hunt? And, and what I'm alluding to here is taking a scent free shower or washing our clothes that we're going to be using in scent-free soap, or, or is that is that beyond the basic level? I, yeah, I just, I'm going to, I'll take the argumentative approach on this and say that you should, you should enter the woods thinking that you smell like a pail of diesel fuel mixed in with barbecue sauce. I mean, you should just, you should pretend you stink every time you go in and I really think that that's whitetail hunting 101. Yeah. Now, sure, there's nothing wrong, and, and people know this. There's nothing wrong with taking a shower with a shower with scent-free soap and keeping, you know, not wearing your camouflage hunting clothes or your black blue jeans or your your black jeans uh, to the gas station. But really, if you are, and I don't do this. I, I don't do, I don't do this. In other words, I don't, I don't have dirty clothes and stuff. I try to keep my stuff clean, but if you were really, really good at your woodsmanship skills and hunting with the wind and stuff, you probably, you would end up killing more deer smelling like gas and diesel fuel. than if you try to eliminate all your scent and then just said, ah, I'm going to sit that standing even though the wind is wrong. You yeah. probably do better not taking a shower and stinking. If you knew how to, hunt with with the wind in your face and you manipulated that manipulated that scenario than if you did the latter right that, that would be my my answer to that right yeah you're right just forget about it forget about that stuff and learn the fundamentals before you try to make this and at times it almost seems unrealistic next step 
So I don't know. I like I I feel like uh, you nailed it there uh, to the you know to the point of just just get out and hunt right. And I think one of the other things, and this is more of a mindset uh, for a new hunter, because you mentioned it and I mentioned it that we just, we didn't comprehend these things when we were younger. And maybe some of it was because we were younger, but my advice to a, a brand new hunter is to just really, when you get out there and you see a deer, just really observe that deer. Where did he come from? Why did he come from that place? Right. Where, where, where is he going? And when you can start answering these questions and in a way doing these calculations in your head, you're going to learn a lot about the deer movement. And that is going, going to help you be able to make different moves, different setups, put your tree stand different places and uh, maybe even hunt certain areas on different winds because of this observation. Something as simple as dropping a leaf or some grass out of a tree and watching what it does, right? That can tell you a lot about what the wind is doing and then you can make a move from there or it just uh, gives you confidence that this tree stand is in the right place. What are your thoughts there? I 100% agree with the idea that when you when you you've done your scouting, you've hung your stand, you're doing the best you can to just observe what's going on. I 100% agree with that. Again, going back to when I was 12, if I saw a deer, immediately the weapon was picked up and I was in kill mode. I mean, no matter what, immediately. Yeah. yeah. And I don't I don't think I learned anything the first three or four years other than the more I hunted, the better my chance was. And, I, and I'm going to say this, and I don't mean this negatively, but the better my chance was to shoot a three-pointer or a doe or anything, because that was my goal, is just to get a deer. Um, but I, learned, I didn't learn anything, because it was immediately, I went from, I saw a deer, to kill mode. And then you black out. And I was already, yeah, and I was already, where am I going to shoot it, and where's the lungs, and I was completely oblivious to, what is the deer doing, why are they doing what they're doing, where are they looking, where are their ears pointed, What's, is their tail twitching, all these observations that I look today now, and when I see a doe coming and I, I watch their ears, I can tell if they're alert. I can tell if there's another deer behind them, but you know, by how they're looking back, if I'm observing, you know, let's say a family group of, of deer, or even some young bucks on a food source. When I was 12, I had no idea if there was another deer coming into that food source or not. Now I know because of the body language of the deer on that food source. Yeah. I don't even need, I don't even need to watch for other deer entering that, entering that food source because the deer that they're in front of me can tell me if there's another deer entering that food source. And that all came from observation. Yeah. So a lot of times I would tell people just, just slow down and sure, pick up your bow and stuff, but observe for what the deer are doing. You don't necessarily have to kill everything that walks by you. And that'll actually help young hunters with like what we'd say, like buck fever with being oh, yeah. just, comfortable the shakes and 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 just losing it when a deer comes in when you want to when you want to kill that animal if you just stop a little bit and observe some of these animals you'll get more comfortable with having a big game animal you know a 100 200 pound animal in front of you yeah without without losing it yeah so absolutely observation is is a big thing you've done the work 
and you finally see an animal, you know, take some time to observe what they're doing. Even if you don't get a shot, even if, even if that means you missed an opportunity, you know, there's no harm in that because that's how you, that's how you're going to learn. Right. Right. There's so many other things that, you know, this conversation could now lead into, you know, we've, we've, we've covered really the, the, the level one, maybe even level two of the deer hunting conversation. Is there anything else that, uh, that we maybe missed that we need to discuss? I don't know that that we've missed anything, but but I do want to mention this and I, I'm not trying to be Mr. Negative or whatever, but I'm on several like Facebook forums and stuff. And the really the number one reason why I'm on these forums is to get uh, ideas. And when people ask questions and stuff, I actually use a lot of that for my writing for content for Iowa Sportsman magazine. So that's the, probably the biggest reason if there's, if there's one or two or 10 people asking a certain question about herbicides or, food plots or how to hang a tree stand, or there's probably a whole bunch of people that don't get it or don't understand it. So I, if I, if I feel I'm comfortable or knowledgeable in that, I'll use that as a, as a way to uh, generate ideas for content. I'm bringing that up because many times somebody will ask a question that's a basic question and they'll get 40 replies and 20 of them, in my opinion, are so wrong that if I was that person on Facebook asking that question, I would have no idea what the right answer is. Right. So just, so just be careful in today's day and age of the internet and social media and Facebook and deer hunting shows and videos that by my account, probably half the information you get is just not that good. And then when you're watching the TV shows, just, just watch them with an error on the side of, it's entertainment. Yeah. And don't, don't get all bought into, you have to have this bowl and you have to have this scent elimination spray and you got to understand that. And I don't, I'm not cutting these people down at all. I'm not, but understand that that's their job to promote that product on their show or on their YouTube channel, because those are their sponsors or those are the people that pay them to do that. Yeah. So understand that when you're watching some of these TV shows or YouTube videos, that many times that's a, t- that's a commercial you're watching and just understand that and, and watch it for the entertainment value. I bring that up because the, the one thing that as a first time hunter, really any hunter, when you're looking for information, if it's a, if it's a game biologist, if it's a doctor, somebody, chances are that's really good information. So when you're sorting out what different sources of people are telling you to do, if they're selling you a product, take it for, take it for what it's worth. It's just entertainment. They're trying to sell you a product. But if it's a, if it's a doctor, somebody, and they're not selling you a product, you can probably take that information that that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. At least that's how I sort through the information that I get. And it's not to say that some of these big time hunters that are on with sponsors and TV. I'm not saying that they're all bad hunters. In fact, many of them are probably good hunters, but you got to take, you got to take the sponsorship and the stuff, the gadgets with a grain of salt. And I, I would say that to any hunter, yeah. not, not just first time hunters, but it's hardest for first time hunters because they're trying to learn it and they might get 
might get set in a little bit of a wrong direction, thinking that they need stuff or if you use this gadget, you know, the deer are just going to come running in because that's what you see on the TV show. Right. Yeah. Completely agree. So let's, uh, I want to, I want to add something to this too, because the reason I started hunting and what kept me hunting was because it was fun. Right. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that fact. Uh, in today's age with maybe big, the big antler craze or, a, you know, a deer isn't old enough to shoot or it's not big enough to shoot or it's a doe versus a buck and all this other crap. New hunters, and I skipped this step, right? When I, when I started um, bow hunting back in the day, I can remember I had a trail camera. And I, it was one of those trail cameras that you had to go to the film and develop it. So I would, I would ride my bike up with the film and I would wait for one hour. I paid extra for the one hour develop time and I'd wait out there and I'd look through these, these uh, pictures. And I remember getting this one picture of this buck and I took it to the farmer and I said, Hey, look at this buck. I want to shoot this buck. And he's like, don't shoot that buck. That buck's too young. He's too small. If you put your time in, you're going to get a bigger buck coming through, coming through here. And so that was my first impression with, you know, waiting. Well, what that did was I didn't shoot any small bucks, but when the big bucks started coming in, I wasn't ready for them. I was, I had buck fever so bad. I didn't put myself in any positions to, to, get deer killed under my belt right so i i just lost it and i made a ton of mistakes on big deer in my early years and i regret that because i should have been shooting the first spike that walked by or the first doe that walked by and it almost took a little bit of the fun out of it for the new for the new the new hunter in me so what i would suggest is Go out and have fun. Nature is something amazing. And if you are lucky enough to experience it in this amazing form, then I think it's going to set the foundation for you to just love hunting, whether your path takes you down to fill the freezer or your path takes you, your path takes you down to um, shoot big mature bucks. Whatever path you choose, this has got to be fun, right? Or it's not worth doing. So I say take everything that you learn with a grain of salt and make your own decision. If you want to shoot spikes, yeah. shoot spikes, man. That's, that's, that's okay. Yeah. My first buck was a spiker and I was on cloud nine for weeks after yeah. I shot that deer. Yeah. 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 I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. And if my transition from trying to shoot older deer was 100% when I got proficient at killing year and a half old bucks, yep. which are pretty easy once you once you master these basics we talked about. Yep. The only reason why I went to two year two year olds and three year olds, the only reason is this, if I shot a year and a half old, my tag was full and I couldn't hunt for bucks anymore. Absolutely. And back when I started hunting, the the doe tags weren't as readily available. So if you shot a buck, let's say opening day of bow season boy, you got 12 months to wait now before you can hunt again. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't do it when I started because I wanted to shoot, you know, a buck that scored whatever. And oh, it had to be mature. I didn't even know what a mature deer was. 
Yeah. I just I just went from passing three three pointers because if I shot it, my season was over. Yeah. So and I would do the I would recommend the same to a starting hunter. If you want to shoot it, shoot it. And the other the other thing is you'll pass let's say you pass up a, a really nice young eight pointer, year and a half old or, or something eight pointer. And you shoot it on the last day, but not the first day. And someone gives you a hard time over that because, well, why did you shoot it on the last day? If you were going to shoot it, you could have shot it. No, because you know why I didn't shoot it on the first day? Because I wanted to keep hunting. Yes. And it's fun. And I wanted to learn. And I wanted to be in the woods. And I wanted to be in the timber. And I wanted to observe the rut. So it's it's really nobody's business why you shoot what you shot. And you're 100% right. Make it fun. Enjoy the season. As a first-time hunter, get spent every hour you can out in the out in the woods and out in the timber and along fence lines and observing with your binoculars and doing the best you can and uh and you're right enjoy the outdoors and if someone questions your motives then just move on you don't need to worry about that person absolutely absolutely and i never 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 uh size shame or score shame somebody else's animal if you ever you ever find yourself thinking, well, I went to shot that buck and boy, that buck would have really been nice two years from now. And if you're not smiling in front of your picture being taken, cause it's only a three pointer, then you don't belong out there. Yeah. That's just, that's not, that's not, it's, it's the, the, the respect modern, for the, animal. the modern. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, I think this is a perfect place to end it, Tom. Um, I, I think if there's a new hunter listening out there that this is, this episode should set a good foundation for more than for more than one thing they've learned a lot today if they were you know absorbing what we said but it's also a good place to start to ask more questions right something that they may have learned today may spark a question that leads them to go research and make them a better hunter down the road so man i love your insight as always and thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on and chat with us oh anytime dan you know i love doing these And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast in the books. Big, big thank you to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. Be sure to check out the Iowa Sportsman Magazine. Be sure to check out iowasportsman.com. And there you are going to find a ton of awesome content, whether that is the magazine that has a ton of great articles about hunting, fishing, recreation, outdoors right everything that we all love and uh, the magazine uh, is just a starting point because there's the podcast obviously you're listening to it right now but there's also the the uh, the website and the website has a ton of online articles that uh, I, I mean the they're just awesome right i was trying to look for a fancy word but uh i'm not a fancy word guy so i'll just say they're awesome uh be sure to follow us on facebook right look up for look up the iowa sportsman facebook page other than that man um good luck this upcoming fall be safe do your scouting now get out enjoy mother nature and uh you know get others involved because Mother Nature has a healing power. If you're sad, if you're low, if you're down, get outside. It can lift you up. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Mm